Hi, I'm Ali. And I'm Penny. And you're listening to Not Too Busy to Write. The podcast about writing, publishing and creativity amongst life's many other demands. Hi, Ali. It's been a while since it's just been the two of you, two of us on this show. How are you doing? Okay. Yeah, it's been a while. (laughs) It's been a while. I suppose we should explain. We've been, it's been a slightly erratic couple of months for us both largely to do with deadlines and COVID, uh, the combination of the two, shall we say? Um, yeah, so I think mine has been um, largely deadlines. So, um, I mean, I'm not going to say rewriting, but I have rewritten big chunks um, off the last days. I've been really busy with it. So um, it's going away next week. Going away next week. <laughs> You're so close. <laughs> yeah, so it's going back. Um, but it's just been really tight because um, just a few things it got brought forward. So um, yeah, it's been a lot of work, but it's it's worth it. So I'm like the Walking Dead just now, but I'm okay. <laughs> Limping towards the summer holidays with with the yeah, handed in. Pretty much, yeah. So I'm fine, but that has just taken up like time and just constant headspace as well I couldn't come out it I was like in that in that stage of needing just to like live entirely in the book um so yeah it's like being in a tunnel it's quite quite good (laughs) (laughs) we we've had um I've had a bit of a crazy time with um a couple of isolations and and the thing about isolations in our family is that um, I can't record anything when my son is in the house. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so that scuppered us for a few episodes. Mm-hmm. I think we had to cancel three different recordings we had planned in the end. But um, but yeah, so we so we've, it's been a little bit of a um, funny end to the season. But we are. This is our last episode today before the summer break and we are taking a proper break from the podcast over the summer because um our schedules are going to be very different i think two of us over the summer as is the case for so many people um and so we will be back in september um we'll regroup and we'll hopefully this time be able to get a few more episodes in the bag for emergency isolation periods um so we'll well, it's not going to be any because covid finishes today remember well apparently apparently it does yes yeah, yeah. the pandemic is over we can go out and we can the celebrate government yeah i'm just going to go and lick lots of people i don't know because it is done we're all fine apparently it's so, yeah, done yeah, no more uh, isolations ever. So, um, yeah, so that will be interesting. I feel like we're in for a very interesting autumn and winter. Interesting um, as in interesting. Yeah. <laughs> interesting, not like fucking disastrous. I know, I have to say, and gosh, obviously, you know, um, all my family are in Australia are in, a, in a, yet another lockdown for like four cases or something like that. And um, here we are with like 50,000 and it's like, it's fine, don't worry, go about your business. Anyway. Anyway. Anyway, so actually we're, we're going to do an episode today um, that we had been planning on doing right from when we decided to do this podcast, I think. Um, we have, yeah. That we thought might be quite interesting because... Um, I'm sure both of us, as I'm sure most people listening, writing as they're coming to writing professionally, it's a second or third career for them. And so what we thought we would talk about today was um, um, 
this idea that, you know, we don't just start fresh when we start as professional writers in our 30s, 40s, 50s, whenever we're beginning. Um, we're bringing so many skills from our other careers and not just the actual writing craft, which might be new, completely new for some mm -hmm. people. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to talk today about the different skills that, that Ali and I think that we might we have gained from our previous careers that have really helped us as writers, but not just as, in our writing craft, but also um, in terms of um, publishing as well. So, Ali, can you tell me a little, tell, tell all of us a little bit about your previous career before you were a writer? Um, so I've done uh, quite a few things, but I think what helped uh, the most was I was a designer. So I did textiles for my undergrad, um, which was quite like it was that strange mix of being quite creative, but also quite technical. So I spent a lot of time in the lab um, burning fabrics and looking at how fabrics behaved in different conditions. And so it was quite a scientific um thing mixed with like all the design side of making um, clothes and then I worked as a designer after that so I what think kind of, what kind of design did you what kind of design were you doing when you were um working professionally kids I was doing kids work oh. um so it was a lot of fun it was crazy because like kids used to come into the office and um, try on all the prototypes and stuff and we would have them like running around and uh, jumping up and down and doing all sorts of stuff to test the clothes and see, <laughs> um, what was happening with the clothes and um, also there's a lot of work around sustainability in fabrics as well so um, there's a lot of new fabrics that were coming through that we were um, trying to incorporate into ranges and things as well but uh, that was a lot of um, greenwashing goes on within the industry as well so there was a lot to be honest it, that I hated about it. I loved the design side, but I wasn't quite comfortable with um, the ethics of working for a very large multinational uh, fashion brand. Yeah, so the design is one thing and this, the production of clothing is a whole nother thing. Yeah, the production and also like the, the kind of false desire that's generated around it um, used to give me quite a lot of sleepless nights eventually. I felt a bit complicit in things that I wasn't comfortable with. That's really interesting because my my other career has had some similar aspects, mm. shall we say. Um, I spent the last 15 years as an interiors photographer. And before that, I spent six years as an assistant to fashion and documentary photographers. Um, and so, yes, I've been in, I guess, we're different parts of the same industry. I guess yeah, exactly. But it, the yeah, whole around. industry is manufactured desire, basically. Manufactured desire. And security. Exactly. And I remember, um, it's funny, actually, after many years as an assistant, which I loved in terms of the work, I loved the work. I loved people I worked with. People are surprised to hear that. Um, I made a lot of friends, a lot of very interesting, wonderful people work in fashion. Um, oh, yeah. Totally. A lot of you know, there are also some not so great characters, but mostly I would say I had the most incredible experience with the people and just the level of skill and creativity is phenomenal. Um, but even as I started shooting interiors, which I guess was in my mid to late twenties, I started shooting um, for myself rather than assisting. And even then I knew I had a time limit on it. I could tell there was a limit on it for me. And part of it is this manufactured desire because yeah. it's basically what my job is as a photographer 
is I am I'm selling stuff. That's what I do. Exactly. I know it's a really hard one to square yeah. with with the climate crisis. Um, and I think what I found hard was that there was so much um, PR and kind of, yeah, everything was a bit skewed, really, because ultimately you're just trying to make people buy stuff and you don't really care. It just comes down to the bottom line. Um, yeah, it's a tricky yeah. one. Yeah, so we become slightly cogs in this wheel. And so I would get hired and to do a commercial shoot. And my job was to make this item or this place as desirable as I can make it. Mm-hmm. And they're using my skills to do that. And so I always knew in a way that there was a limit on how long I could do that for without feeling slightly crushed by it. Um, but it's hard to square with the other fact about the job is that it's a really brilliant job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really enjoyed it. It's a really, it's a um, really enjoyable creative challenge to turn up to work and have to make it work no matter what on the day, according to the brief. Working with really interesting creative people, um, often doing very creative, beautiful, interesting things. Um, so it, it's a funny one. It's kind of got this duality to it, which is on mm-hmm. the one side, you know, you're basically feeding um, a kind of slight capitalist machine. And then the other, you're actually doing really interesting work with with really interesting and very clever people. Um, yeah. So it's yeah, that's exactly what I found because I love fashion. I love the aesthetics of it. And I actually love like the dream of it as well. Yes. I kind of love yeah. The, the storytelling and the imagery and and I love I am obsessed with clothes I love good clothes um, yeah and I love I really miss um fabric I miss doing stuff I miss doing stuff with my hands um which is quite funny but it is it's just the ethics and a lot of other um things because it is quite an ugly industry behind the scenes. It is. And so not to diss it completely, there are amazing, amazing people out there doing incredible things with a slower form of fashion and um and a slower form of interiors and all of that kind of stuff. And so certainly not to diss the whole industry, just more the mainstream side of it, I suppose. Yeah. But um but it's interesting though, um that I mean, I still, when, you know, when we're writing books, we're still making a product. And I think that's where you and I both feel like we gained a lot of skills from our first. I think first so, career. yeah. Because, because book is still a product. It's still it something is. that we have to sell. And it's just, um, you're selling something different, but um, it is still a product that we, that we sell. So um, in terms of thinking about your book as a product, do you think it's helped that you've had that you've spent other chunks of your career thinking about um, creating and selling a product? Yeah, I mean, again, there's that kind of um, duplicity, isn't there? Not duplicity, duality. See, I told you, like, my words are not working off the page. I can't have totally <laughs> incoherent. Um, yeah, there's that duality, basically, um, where you're trying to make something that's beautiful and unique and yours and art to a certain extent but there's no point making something if no one's going to read it Mm -hmm. so you've got to entertain the idea of the reader I'm pretty sure I'm paraphrasing horribly but Max Porter says something about that about um like you 
at certain stages you're writing with with the reader and the market however you want to define the market because obviously everybody's idea of the market is different but you're writing at a certain stage with them in mind and then you completely write with out them in mind I'm writing with about two people in my mind at the moment um, my editor and one other person who I really respect and I'm writing for them mm-hmm. and that's it um, and me as well yeah but also I'm writing for me um, so I think there's that kind of that you have to think of the market and then you've got to let it go but I think when you're at a certain stage, particularly of nonfiction, is the market really matters when you're coming up with your proposal. Because if you're not thinking of it as Very a product, much. then no publisher is going to buy it. And that yeah. is just the simple fact. And you can't do the thing that is quite a rookie mistake of going, this is completely unique when people say where does it fit oh well i've made something new well you can't because how is anyone going to sell that yeah. so you have to be able to contextualize your work exactly that's exactly yeah. how i put it context 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 it's so important exactly. yeah it's incredibly important and i think this is where it's really interesting to think about to really when you're at proposal stage really be thinking about your book as a product and then be able to then put that aside when you're writing exactly. and pick it back yeah. up again Um, and you do you go back to it at the end as well um because when you're editing again it's that reader coming back into it you've got to be able to read your book as a reader um and as someone who's in your market so yes i think the more specific and honed you can be about where the book sits what books it sits alongside all of that really helps um when you're working in fashion uh so much of it is trends as well so you've got to be able to spot trends but also realize that kind of trends are very mathematically driven as well which is what happens in in publishing everyone's looking at figures and looking at what's sold before and you've got to be able to think you know does does it fit and it is a little bit i don't want to use the word callous but you know it's a business publishing is. is a business and they've got to be able to sell your book and we've got to be able to have luxurious things like dinner so you kind of got to, you know. But this is what's interesting. I think this is what's really, I find really helpful of having been a working commercial artist in another field already, because I feel like I've already, and I, I wonder if you'll feel the same. I feel like I've already done that in my other career. I've already done that push and pull between the commercial and the creative. Yeah. And I sort of do it literally on the spot as we're shooting and also in the bigger picture in terms of um, working with commercial brands but like so for instance on the day if I'm working for a brand or in the actual moment I've been hired for a reason they've hired they've looked at my mostly editorial probably portfolio and they've decided that's the feel they want that's the mood they want that's what they want me to bring to it but on the day then there is this total push and pull between what the brand itself needs to be in there what they need to convey and often what happens is like a tug of war between <clears throat> the um, the kind of the feel and the editorial nature of what they want and that what actually practically they have to be able to show to a, to a customer, like what they, what they need to be able to show. And so throughout the working day, there is this total tug between what they've paid me money to be there for, the skills that I bring and what it is that they want. And those two things are constantly competing throughout the day. And I feel like books are very similar um in the sense of like 
really needing to put down the essence and what it is that you're bringing to the project and what it is that you want to say and the importance of what you want to say. Um, but also in a smaller way, keeping an eye on the context the wider context of what this book is like the world the book is going out into and what people need to see and read and what they're willing to pay for and things like that. And so that kind of push and pull, although I would say it's probably perhaps less so in a, in a book than in a, say for instance, a magazine article, because you know, a book technically you've got more control over a book as an author because you have actual authorship. Um, whereas if you're writing for a, you know, like a um, media company or something like that, um, they essentially own it and they're going to dictate what's written in it much more so than, than a book. And that's the big difference between like writing for somebody else and writing a book, which is much more like uh, there is much more authorship in a book. But you're still publishing within a wider cultural context and within a, um, a publishing market as well. Yeah, it needs to fit in a context. And I think that's really important. I think um, another thing that I used um, was when, so I wrote the, wrote the book and then my editor and I decided that we had, I can't remember if I said this on an episode or not, but we decided we had a perfectly good book, but neither of us were happy with a perfectly good book. We wanted to mess it up a bit and um, make it something more than it was. So it involved not restructuring because I had quite a strong um, structure, but I wanted to refine the structure, like make it tighter, um, which meant ripping a lot of bits and rearranging it in a different way. And I think I would have been really freaked out, but a lot of um, fashion is ripping stuff up. And um, so you might have a design and then you need to rework it or you have different things. And, and so it's that kind of, being able to take something and and reconfigure it and not panic during the process yeah. so that when it's looking really messy that you realize that that's part of it that it's supposed to look like that it will kind of coalesce into its new form at some stage you've just got to get through the the, the chaos bit so um yeah that really helped knowing that I could do that and also the weird thing of um like when you're doing design so you're working um with something that's 2D that will become 3D. And although a book is still flat, it is a physical, well, most of the time a book is a physical object. Um, so it becomes, so it, it comes from off the screen into this physical thing. Um, and that really helps as well thinking, well, how will people mediate the book? How do they see their way around the book? How does the reader enter into the text, which are the same questions that you're looking at when you're designing clothes, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's I think there's so many skills. But like we were saying before we recorded this, I think every professional workplace has its own skill set that you can bring there's always so many transferable skills as well loads and although we both come from uh, a quite commercial creative background and there are some we've both been able to draw loads of clear skills it's sort of there are so many different things you could have done that you could bring to this process not just in a kind of creative career um, I think particularly when it comes to um, 
actually producing the book itself. So working with an editor, doing all the marketing, all of that kind of stuff. Because I think that's a whole different set of skills to the actual writing. The, the writing so, that you I, do alone before you have an agent, before you have support, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> well, I think it's it's completely um, relevant to think, well, you know, if you've got a boss and you're working in this kind of interdependent way that it's not just you that you can bring those skills. I mean, I was fortunate, so I went into um, academia, so I got quite an academic background as well as a design background. So I'm used to working with professors, I'm used to working on papers, I'm used to doing research. Um, so in terms of uh, writing nonfiction that's research heavy or how, how you take facts and make them into something that is appealing is, um, is also another skill that I can bring to it. And I think when you're working on your um, thesis, again, it's very much collaborative because it's got to be a research question doesn't exist in isolation. The research mm -hmm. question has to be contextualized. It sits amongst other research. So all these concepts were never um, alien at all. It was very much that, and a book is a question. I always think of a book as a question because it's either an attempt to answer a question or it's an attempt to raise more questions mm -hmm. or it does yeah. both. Um, and that's ultimately what you're doing in a research environment is you are answering a question and solving a problem. And I suppose what we've both done is created problem solving too. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. It's uh, being a photographer is, is creative problem solving because it's, I think the thing that's, um, for instance, separates being a professional photographer from being someone who's just, who practices photography um, is that when someone hires you to do something, you just, you have to just do it. You just have to pull it off. It doesn't really matter what goes wrong on that, on the day, you just still have to do it anyway. And things going wrong um, create different interesting outcomes. Um, but either way you have to pull it off. And um, so it is very much in that sense, creative problem solving. You know, if I turned up to a shoot and we've got, say for instance, child models and, you know, one of them's sick, and another one doesn't want to play ball and two of them are amazing. And suddenly you've got like the whole shoot on these two kids that you expected to have a variety of four, you know, it could be pouring with rain and it totally changes the atmosphere. And it could like all of these different various factors that can happen on the day that can completely change how you have to approach the problem mm -hmm. of getting these shots that the, that the client wants. Um, and you just have to do it. And the thing that's great about having done that for 15 years is that I know that I can pull stuff off. Mm -hmm. You know, like I know that a lot of different things can go wrong and it might end up being a bit different than you expect. Um, but that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes the difference is, is a really positive thing. Um, but it doesn't have to all be entirely within your control all the time to get really good outcomes. And I think that was a really, really good lesson to have learned before I started writing because I think in a way we think of writing as a really controllable thing because as an author you are in charge on the page and you are and you do need to be in charge but there's so many other things that come into it for instance the market um, and I think that knowing that you can pull it off just knowing that you are going to pull it off and it doesn't matter if some things, some curveballs are thrown your way during the process. It will change it 
and it will be scary and it will probably be hard work, but you will do it. And I think that's a lot of what I learned as a photographer. Yeah, I think so. I think also the idea that what you have in your head is always much more magnificent than what actually yeah. happens. And that frustration can be a really hard thing for people to overcome. I know a lot of people say, but when I write it down, it doesn't, it's not what I think it's going to be. And of course, the first time you write it down, it's not going to be anywhere near what it's actually going to end up being. And I think partly knowing that from from the past, from understanding that from, well, you know, what you what you think is going to be produced is never what is produced. But also just the process, the editing process and just constantly going through it. Now I'm not worried when I first put things down on the page because I think, well, if I don't put that down, then I'm never going to get to the eighth draft. I'm never going to get to the final result. I'm never going to get to that really sharp prose if you don't have the really flabby stuff, basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah and again that's what design is that you're constantly refining it and it's a back and forth to so many other people like you were saying um that's what that's the editing relationship is the relationship when you're editing with your agent it's this thing that it's collaborative really mm. a book isn't your book it's so many other people's book Definitely. um and yeah just that ability to be able to make a product from from this back and forward, a product that is a product of a conversation. And you're steering the conversation, but lots of other things are too. So it's it's a big thing. I think another thing is the, the um, length of time it takes for a book to come into the world. Um, mm -hmm. Working in fashion, you, I was working like two years ahead and you'd be working on different collections as well. So you'd have to be able to switch between if you were doing spring or if you were doing autumn or, you know, so all these different things, you're working, always thinking ahead of the future. And that's, that's how a book works. I remember when I signed last year and people were like, oh my God, I'll be able to buy your book by Christmas. And I was like, well, no, not this Christmas. Um, <laughs> two Christmases time maybe. Yeah. Cause it just, it takes so long. Um, and understanding that that might seem frustrating, but it's not like you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs waiting for the book to come out. You're really, really busy. So that yeah. helps. Yeah, it's true. And actually one big bonus about having been a photographer actually is that I shot a lot of books. And so mm -hmm. I have already worked with publishers. Um, I've done a lot of craft books over the years, a lot. <laughs> awful lot of craft books I don't know how many I've got a full shelf of them um and it is really it has been interesting being on that side of it um on the hired hand side I would call it rather than you know in the same way an illustrator would be the same way mm -hmm. as, a, as a, a book designer like a um a layout designer and a um and a, and a cover designer would be to be that hired hand and to see it from that other end and so I sort of, yeah, I already luckily for me knew the process, but I had the opposite. My book came out super quick and uh, it was terrifying. Um, but my, that's not, that's not usual. That's not usual at all. Um, so, um, yeah, it's interesting because I think um, also just this idea of working and collaboration, I think we, we do really think about, writing as a solo thing and it can be a solo thing for a really long time but when you're publishing it's not solo at all um it's very much collaborative and it's 
I love the process of working with an editor. I absolutely love it. I find it just so weirdly freeing. Um, and I don't know if it's because I've always worked with art directors and stylists that um, I found that um, having someone else's input from a slightly different perspective, which is what you get when you're working with a, with a, with a stylist, that um, you both bring something and it's yeah. just, it's just adds, it doesn't take away. Um, obviously I'm really lucky working in photography. I don't feel like we generally do have too many cooks occasionally in advertising. There are too many cooks. Um, but generally <laughs> when you're doing, um, you know, especially editorial stuff, there are definitely not too many cooks. It really just adds, adds to the process. And I absolutely loved the process of working with editor on my, my book. I think, I feel like from what I understand, you, it sounds like you've, you've really enjoyed it as well. Yeah, I love my editor. She's brilliant. And it is just that, um, different set of eyes and then she's like she's in my head now when I'm writing so I'm at the stage where I'm reading my book aloud um to just further refine like if, on a, every single sentence level and I'll be reading it and sometimes I can hear her going that isn't a turn of phrase or what are you saying <laughs> what are you trying to say what is this doing and I'll be like oh my god I've used four words I could use one word and um yeah, just that she's just kind of reconfigured um, how I write from like first draft stage now as well. So I think that and that happened with working with my agent too, um, because he's just amazing on the editorial side. He's a very good editor. And so I think that both of them together has just kind of tightened this thing up. So it's, I think people can often see um, editing as like a temporary arrangement because you might not necessarily be working with the same editor in the future but it's not temporary because even if you're not working with them again I feel that they certainly reshape how yes. you how you interrogate the work and what you're bringing to the page and, and how you think she's she's really changed how I think and I think that we both have quite a um, playful approach to the work now as well so it's yeah I really love what we've come up with and it feels like a we and that's what I really like I like that yeah. it takes away that it takes away the I from it and it's a we are doing this and yeah. then it's fun because it's a it's a little adventure that the two of you go on as well yeah yeah I think editors are massively undervalued in general in terms of like you know authors are really held up on a pedestal and editors don't really get a look in because of course you know you have to search pretty far hard in the in a in the acknowledgements or the in the maybe in the um um in the bylines to who actually edited the book but they can have such a huge input yeah i saw i can't remember who's doing it i want to say it's a rhyme but i'm probably making it up but i saw that one publisher is starting to do like a like a credits section on a book. Yeah, I think at the beginning, so yeah. it's going to have everybody who's involved, and I think that's really fair because yeah. you know there's the author's name, and then it's really up to them who they put in the acknowledgements. And I think that it's much better if there's kind of more transparency about the process as well. And obviously, yes. Yes, I totally agree. Yes, absolutely. Because coming as well from, well, I mean, it's tricky as well in photography because although Silas are always credited in the initial publication, initial, um, you know, when I sell on resale images, often 
sometimes, but you know, sometimes like if I'm reselling one image out of a whole story, for instance, like if a magazine publishes a, um, a story about, I don't know, like amazing bathrooms, for instance, some, some rubbish like that. And then they, they publish a single image of mine from a different house story. Mm-hmm. I will always get the credit yeah. because I own the image, but the stylist won't necessarily then get credited further down the line which um, can be really frustrating because often the stylist is, is very influential on how things look. Um, less so other times, it sort of depends. It completely depends on the job and the relationship and all different things. But there are times which the, the stylist is hugely, hugely influential and then they don't necessarily get credited down the line, mm, yeah. which is a whole another frustrating thing to do with copyright and ownership and, and blah, 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 blah. But, um, but yeah, I, I agree. I just, my editor was very influential on me and also the copy editor massively in a way, in a really lovely, surprising way that I hadn't quite realized because, um, yeah, the, she picked up on different things to my editor and that was really lovely as well. I really enjoyed that. I very much enjoyed that process actually of working with those two different people on it. Yeah. And I think also publicity can be overlooked and what publicists do too. I'm not working with my publicist particularly closely yet, but we had a great meeting at the beginning. And I think that that's really important as well, that that's part of the success of the book as well. So yeah, there's so many different people that make a book and books that make a book as well. I've been thinking about this a lot because I think that my book is in response to other books. So I'm kind of tussling with other books in the text as well. They've come Mm -hmm. into it. So there's lots of, books that are shaping my thinking and my response as I as I work my own way through the text um so also they should be acknowledged so I'm going to have an acknowledgement section to the books that I was reading as a letter oh um, yes well see yeah. I yeah I mean I did as well because well I did obviously have a bibliography but also um a bibli- I did a bibliography but also had a, um, a list of, of books about um, disability by disabled writers that I thought people should read that had a huge influence on how uh, on how I think now um, and that was really nice to be able to do that really, really yeah nice. I think it's <clears throat> I think it's important because there's such an idea of like the writer is this kind of genius sitting in their genius no, cave, no, writing away. in a bubble um, <laughs> like i wish it'd be great imagine just being able to write and not thinking about it um yeah so yeah i think it's nice but yeah. so overall we, i think i mean i think we both feel very lucky that we came from backgrounds where these are not new concepts to us i guess we're used to working in these very collaborative quite commercial ways and it is super helpful but I mean whatever it is that you've done leading up to this point where you're now taking your writing more seriously um we all can find things in our skill set that we probably don't even realize we have because we're so used to using those skills that we forget that other people don't necessarily have have the skills that we have and then how we can really use them to our advantage when we're um writing and publishing yeah I think so so this is our last episode before the summer break. Um, so it's probably quite a nice idea just to take a second to, well, I'm going to ask you, how are you going to um, write over the summer? Are you planning on write? Are you taking a break? What are your plans for the summer in terms of your work? Uh, well, it depends. Depends <laughs> what happens. I've got, um, I'm going to... Um, make some art over the next couple of weeks I have 
a couple of mad ideas for what I'm going to do as like a bye-bye book ritual. So that's, um, that's what it is. And then it depends. It depends how much work the book needs done. Yeah. When it goes back to my editor, because it might not need lots done and it might need lots done. Um, which was another incoherent sentence. So we're just, I'm just going to see, basically. Yeah. Um, I've got another project that is um, perhaps will be imminently needing worked on too. So, yeah, it's just, a, it's just at that weird stage, you know, how you go for months knowing what you're going to do and the first half of the year, um, we're just over the half, aren't we? Yeah, yeah the yeah. first bit of this year was really, really intense uh, art guys. Like I have like written, like, the, like even this year volume of words I have typed is a bit excessive. Yes. Um, without even thinking of it as writing. So I've been super, it's, it's been mad. And then it's at that kind of stage where I think this is the opportunity for it to be a little bit less mad. So I'm going to take the most of that and, um, yeah, have some time probably away. But again, it just, it depends. It really yeah. depends what's, um, depends what needs quickly, that. What gets turned around and back sent back to you again. Yeah, exactly. It depends how much there is to do. And then it's um, going out to other editors to see if anyone wants it internationally. So it's back to you also was writing. I think you go through that period where you're not feeling sick on a daily basis waiting for news. And then you're <laughs> back into that period of just thinking you're going to puke all the time. So I'm going back into that as well, which is going to be fun. Please tell me you're taking a tiny bit of time off. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm going to take some time off, but not like, I haven't, I haven't worked out when or in yes. what form, but yes, there will be some time off. How about you? Well, interestingly, I have, so I haven't talked about this yet because I haven't really been able to talk about it, but I have just finished a qualification, which is now done and dusted. And so I have uh, a new business that I've been working on for the past six months. Um, so that is, um, I'm able to move forward with that, which is quite exciting. I'll talk more about that in September, but essentially now I am working with other writers and supporting other writers. So that's exciting that I can move forward with that. But because I've been concentrating on that really hard for the past six months, um, I really didn't work a huge amount on fiction in the last six months. And I, the last few weeks I've really picked it up again and I've made the decision that I'm all in now on this <laughs> fiction thing. And I'm just going to plow through. I'm going to plow on. Not that I will get loads of writing time over the summer at all. I won't get loads. I'll get bits, but I've decided that I'm going to think to really be persistent with the fiction thing. So I don't lose. So I don't lose it over the summer. I don't want to, I don't want to lose it. It might happen. I don't want to set myself up to failure by saying that I want to keep writing really heavily over the summer because the summer is very complicated for me because in a combination of like, um, aside from not having enough, quite enough care, um, as the weeks of the summer go by, my son's needs increase. 
quite significantly. So by the end of August, things are quite mental and he needs quite a lot of attention um, just because being out of routine is tricky for him. So the first few weeks are usually pretty smooth. And then as the summer goes by, it gets much more complex. And I sort of sometimes I have to keep reminding myself that because it happens every year. And so I do need to not be too ambitious about what I achieve, especially in August, um, late August. Um, but I will, I definitely will write because I think that will, it will help me during the summer mm -hmm. it helps me to keep working on yeah. something. I really need another project so that I'm not sort of slightly drowning in care. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I will keep writing. Yeah, yeah, I will. I'm working on this business and um, plowing away at that and I've already got clients and stuff. I just haven't really properly launched yet because I was waiting for this qualification. And um, yeah, so I'll be doing a bit of working with other writers and a bit of working on fiction and trying trying quite hard to not put too much pressure on myself but at the same time not letting it go knowing that i'd probably be quite devastated if i have to let it all go for the summer so try yeah. to toe that line between the two that's what i'll be doing yeah that's it's a tricky one i think with the wider political context of yeah. everything going to shit as well it's gonna be i know it really interesting completely gone shit and we're not going away actually at all I'm taking my daughter away for a night away um and I'm going for a couple of nights away when they're with their dad but other than that um we're not going away I'm not going to take my son away things have been very intense for him this past year and he's not really going to cope well with all the crowds that are everywhere in England because people aren't going abroad um and so yeah we're going to be keeping it simple and slowly reintroducing him to the world mm -hmm. um in a quite hopefully quite calm way without too yeah. much pressure i hope so yeah so we're not trying anything too ambitious but um but i am going to take my daughter away overnight which i do try and do at least once every summer completely separate because obviously there's um yeah there's different things that we can really do nice. yeah. yeah and have you been reading anything Recently. Yes. Oh gosh, I've read two amazing books this this week, and I need to. I just yeah, I'm going to talk about them both. Um, uh, um, Atego Awagba's new book, uh, memoir about money. Um, mm -hmm. We need to talk about money. It is it is phenomenal. It is so phenomenal. It's really toes that line between. It is very much a memoir, um, but she's woven so much cultural context into it that it very much does look at the wider picture at the same time um but she's just she's such an interesting person to talk about this because she's um, um the daughter of immigrants she i think she moved here when she was around six years old <clears throat> she um they came with nothing started from scratch she won a scholarship to a very prestigious private school in london and then went to oxford and she lives this quite strong duality of having lots of privileges from the education that she she had um and the contacts she made during that education and kind of what all of her friends are off doing but also her background and being black as well and very much being a woman as well there's a lot in the book about um about workplace um discrimination and um and it's really incredible and i would urge i would urge um any woman who's interested in workplace politics in money and understanding their own relationship to money um, and what drives um, them to make the choices they make around work and money. I would urge you to read it. It's so, it's so interesting 
Um, and, uh, and it sort of just gets you to ask a lot of questions of yourself, which I really, really loved. But yeah, so that was excellent. Um, and on, in a completely different note, um, I'm reading and I'm almost finished, but I'm going to talk about it anyway, because I just know that it's, she's going to land the ending just fine. <laughs> you know, when you can just tell, sometimes I wouldn't necessarily recommend books until I finished them completely, but I feel like I'm safe to do this one. Um, it's a book by C. Pam Zhang, who's an American um, author, and it's called How Much of These Hills is Gold? And I think it was longlisted for the Booker last year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a Western, but it's so, it's such an interesting take on the Western. It's, um, it's two children, essentially. I think they're around um, 11 and 12 or 12 or 13 years old. And, um, and they're Chinese um, in the West in America. And it, in the beginning, you know, it starts with their father's death and they're left completely alone. And it's such an incredible kind of, quite feminist take on what is a quite horrific part of American history. Um, and it's really interesting because I know really similar things happened in Australia because it's about a kind of, oh, of course, yeah. the gold rush and prospecting mm -hmm. and this lure of prospecting. And Australia has a similar history in that sense with people um, migrating specifically for prospecting and what happened to those families and how badly um, particularly Asian families were treated in both Australia and the US. And yeah, it's, it's just fascinating. And it's, for me, feels like, um, it does feel like a kind of great American novel in the way that like, it feels like William Faulkner. It feels like a voice of, um, of American pain and history. And um, yeah, it's just, it's incredible, really incredible. I would um, highly recommend it. I remember um, thinking I should read it, so I'm not going to add it to the list because the list, <laughs> the list sounds so amazing, <laughs> sounds really good. Um, I've been struggling to read very much because obviously I'm reading a sublime memoir out next year, um, <laughs> over and over, um, but I've been reading quite a lot of essay collections because I love essays and I think it's a really good way to kind of just think something else for a little moment or two uh, a little moment honestly I'm just not working today but I am um, I've been reading Lucy Elman's Things Are Against Us and I love Lucy she is like she's incredible so her novel Ducks Newburyport mm -hmm. uh was shortlisted for the book her yeah sure it was shortlisted. yeah yeah um and it is it is just a feat of literature. It is genuinely one of the most incredible books, just reading it, just going, how did you do that? It's just amazing. And what I love about Lucy Elman is that she is just like this kind of blazing little fireball. Um, she just says what she would say. I think in the current culture of cancel culture and social media and people calling people out, I think having somebody who is still fearless is such, it's so galvanizing because you're just thinking, yes, you're saying it, you're doing it. And Things Are Against Us is a quite short essay collection, but the essays are stupendous. Um, the quality of thought on the page is ridiculous. Um, mm. I think that Lucy is also one of the most incredibly 
fearless minds. She has a brilliant mind and she brings it to the page. She brings it to everything she looks at, everything she sees is um, much illuminated by how she thinks. Mm. So Things Are Against Us is this um, powerful, angry, impish, playful, excoriating collection of essays just looking at what we're dealing with now where we are now and particularly where we are as women, she really interrogates the patriarchy mm. and the effect that it has on how we live and how we're seen, how we're viewed, the lens that is on us. Um, and also a really unflinching look at America's failures as well, mm. um, which I think is really important because it's still held up as this kind of dream nation, which the American dream has been a nightmare since a very long time um and she really does that and it yeah i just i would thoroughly recommend it it is brilliant and she also resolutely refuses to offer hope or resolution as well which i really like because we don't live in hopeful times and i think that that's actually really powerful to not have somebody kind of come up with these kind of facile answers at the end of something because nothing resolves, nothing is fixed and she doesn't try and fix it. Um, so yeah, I love it. It's a really good collection and I would thoroughly recommend it. And um, you will not go away bouncing around afterwards, but you'll certainly <laughs> go away and think about the world and think about your place in it. And I think that's what the best writing should do. So she's done it basically. She's done it again. Oh, well, that sounds, Excellent. Um, well, so we will um, we be back in yeah. September. I hope everybody has a lovely um, summer break of some description. It's going to be an interesting one for those of us in <clears throat> um, Europe. So we shall see. Um, possibly the US as well. Um, yeah. Who knows? Who knows what September will bring for us all? Um, but we will we will see you in um, in about two months' time. Yeah, absolutely. You've been listening to Not Too Busy to Write with Ali Miller and Penny Windsor. You can find show notes, including the best ways to get in touch with us, as well as any reading recommendations mentioned in the episode at nottoobusytowrite.com. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe. And please go ahead and leave us a little review. It really helps others to find the podcast. You can find Ali on Instagram at Ali underscore Miller underscore writes and Penny at Penny Windsor. Music and editing is by Ewan Miller McMeekin.